Well, good morning. Awesome. Y'all are excited this morning. I'm pretty pretty excited, too. Um, I'm not that excited. Y'all are wow. Y'all wowed me off the stage with y'all's excitement. Um, hope everybody's doing good. Still doing bad. Good. We're, we're getting there. We'll get there eventually. Um, this morning, we're going to be talking about that passage, and so if you have your Bibles, and again, it's kind of important that we bring our Bibles into a place we're going to study it, so if you would, go ahead and open up your Bible to Luke 15. That's where we're going to be hanging out the entire morning. We're not going to be flipping around much, and so if you go ahead and open up to Luke 15, we're going to be there. We're going to dissect it. We're going to look at it. We're going to just jump ourselves right on into Luke 15. It's a good passage of Scripture, as you heard. Um, there's not much more I can add to it, but it's going to be um, awesome, hopefully, um, for you. Um, the tendency that many of us have, and I'm sure if you've been around church long enough, we love to hide, we love to put on facades, we love to put on masks, we love, we love, we love to walk around this church and shake people's hands and say, everything's going good, we're doing fine, everything's great, we love each other, and in reality, we have all this junk that's just going on inside of us, all this sin, all this shame, all this guilt, all this frustration, we love to put on masks. Anybody like to put on a mask? I'm just going to be, uh, Brittany is probably going to kill me for doing this, but I, I, I'll just be honest. I am, I've been in the worst mood for like three days now. Like, like not just like a bad mood. I, I have just been, it, I've just been terrible. Like to people, to everybody, I, I've been in an awful mood. I don't know what it is. Like I want to just hurt people. I want to, I wa- I'm frustrated with everything. I've been in an awful, awful mood. I don't even know how, um, I'm supposed to be up here to speak to y'all because this is for me because I've walked around this morning and been like, what's up, everybody? Y'all doing good? Good to see y'all. Yeah, high five. But in reality, many of you, I've just wanted to like, Ugh. not y'all, just I am mad. I'm frustrated. And so I want to be honest with y'all that like this is coming from my heart because I am just going through something in my own spirit where I am putting on masks, putting on facades, trying to be this person. In reality, I'm just turmoil on the inside. I've got so much stuff happening inside of me, so much nervousness, so much anxiety, so much fear, so much frustration, so much stuff is happening on the inside. And I just want to say to any of you who are going through this, like, just stuff on the inside, let's tear down some walls today. Let's stop putting on your mask and stop saying everything's okay. We're a church family. It's time for us to, like, just say, here's who I am, and I'm just who I am. And... I don't care if you like it, but this is who I am. And this morning, I'm just going to say to you, it's time for us to take down the wall, stop hiding, stop running away, because we have a God who's not going to condemn us, but wants to come and just love us and put us on his shoulders and carry us home when we are too weak to do anything. And so this morning, as we look at Luke 15, um, I just hope that this would come alive for you who are running, for you who are just hiding, for you who have just lost your way, that you can just find your way back to the Father who is searching for you, who wants and desires relationship and fellowship and community with you. It's beautiful. But I want to start out in Luke 15, chapter 1, excuse me, that makes no sense. Luke 15, verse 1 and 2. If there's anything that you could walk out of here with practicality and with some sort of like, I can do this, this would be it. He starts out and says, The tax collectors and the sinners, quote-unquote, were all gathered around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners, and he eats with them too. Now, right off the bat, I just want to go ahead and say, it is our job as believers, it is our job as people of faith to eat with sinners. 
okay? And, and I know you're probably just like, well, how do I find sinners? Well, we're all sinners, so we can all eat with each other. But let me tell you something super secret, okay? Jesus had some sort of ritual or some sort of like know-how that he would always go to find sinners and go to find people who needed him and he would go and eat with them. Now, I thought this is so simple. I mean, this is simple stuff, but some of us try to complicate this so much. We try to say, well, I'm going to witness to my coworkers like in the morning. I'm going to have like a little Bible study and I'm going to try to tell them about Jesus. In reality, Jesus is like, just go get a hamburger with them. Go take them to lunch. Invite them into your home. See, we as people, we know how to eat, do we not? I'm looking at y'all. Some of y'all know how to put down some food. Some of you probably should stop. Um, I'm just, I'm kidding. Y'all look great. But maybe if it hits you, that's okay. Um, We all know how to eat, do we not? Anybody? We all know how to eat. Did you know on Super Bowl Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday, we as a people, not this church, but the United States, we ate 1.25 billion chicken wings. That's just chicken wings, y'all. Can you imagine? Just on Super Bowl Sunday, we ate 1.25 billion chicken wings. We know how to eat. We know how to eat. And I think Jesus is trying to tell us in all this stuff, hey, he's eating with tax collectors. He's eating with Nicodemus. He's going to sinners' houses. He's going to the tax collectors' houses, and he's eating with them. There's something unique about eating with somebody that breaks down all boundaries, all barriers, all preconceived notions. There's something about putting a cheeseburger or a latte in the middle of a table that breaks down so much. If you've never tried it, it works. I had a lot of trouble in different places trying to witness to people. But as soon as I put a burger, and I know it sounds stupid, but as soon as I put a burger in the middle of our conversations, they, they lighten up. As soon as you pay for, them, for their meal, they're much more apt to talk to you. And so for you this morning, this is a very practical thing. If you're having trouble witnessing to people, go take them to lunch. Invite people into your home. Your home can be your biggest mission field if you'll let it be. Some of you are amazing cooks. Have people into your homes. Tell them about Jesus. Jesus ate with sinners. Jesus loved sinners. Jesus would go to people's house and eat with them. Jesus would go and invite people to his home. He was homeless, and so he would go to other people's homes. And so Jesus had this habit of eating with people. So should we. It's very simple. This is not one of those things that like, maybe I can do this, maybe I won't do this. This is one of those things we do. We eat with sinners. I guarantee you, too, if we start doing this, some of you will be the little Pharisees walking around. Man, did you see what Derek did? He had, he had that guy right there, that guy named Painter. He had him over to his house, and he's a, he's a sinner. I think Derek might be doing some stuff. I don't know. That's how it works when we have sinners over to our house. That's what happened to Jesus when he had started having people over to his house. He's like, Jesus, he's a friend of the, he's the tax collectors. I don't know about that guy. But that's what we're called to do. I'm going to challenge you this week. Have a sinner, have somebody over to your house, invite a coworker to lunch. It might be awkward at first, but as soon as that waiter brings that cheeseburger, all is well. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. If we continue on to the parable that we're kind of dealing with this morning, and it's beautiful stuff. In verse 4, Jesus is telling this parable, and he says, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep. Good for you. And he loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. 
Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be much more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 who need no repentance. Let me set this up for you in a way that I can understand. I'm thinking in my mind, I've got uh, this side over here to be this beautiful pen or field and just this infinite field filled with everything that these sheep could ever want. I mean, this place is huge. It's massive. It's got everything that a sheep could ever want or hope for. This place is just the bomb.com. This is where, if you were a sheep, this is where you'd want to be. You've got a shepherd who's got a staff who's going to knock out any wolves who come to kill you. You've got everything you could want in this pen. This pen is perfect. It is awesome. It is everything that you could ever want. But for some reason, this sheep decides bump it. I'd rather not have all this. I'd rather go test the waters out here. Anybody? Anybody? That you? I feel like it's me a lot. I feel like, man, God is giving me everything I could want right here. This is awesome. I've got as much as I could ever want. I've got a God who's going to protect and provide and give me everything I could want. I've got this perfect place of infinite everything that God is trying to give me, but for some reason, I'm going to go chill over here. This looks better. I'll try it just for a little while looks awesome. For some reason, that's us. We have God who is here trying to give us everything we could ever want, ask for, hope for, dream for, everything, and the security that he provides, not the like perfection and, and goodness and prosperity that we think he provides, but the goodness and the everything that we could ever want is there in the pen. And, and so we've got Jesus who's here trying to give us everything we could want, ask for, hope for, dream for here, and this is what God is asking for us. But for some reason, each of us just run away from the pen. We run away. We try to get away, and we love to hide. The sheep is running away, and it starts to just wonder, and it gets to a point where it is just gone. And see, for each of us, we love to do this. We love it. We love to say, God, you're good, but I'm going to go run away, and I'm going to go hide. It reminds me, Genesis 3 in the garden. Man, you've got Adam and Eve, and they've got everything they could ever want, ask for, hope, and dream for. They've got the Garden of Eden, which has the Tigris and the Euphrates River running through it. This place is massive. They've got everything they could ever want, hope for. They've got a God that is providing for them and and comforting whatever they want. They've got everything in the Garden of Eden. It's perfect. But for some reason, they want that one thing they can't have. They want to go away. They want to run. And then as soon as they take the fruit, what do they do? They hide right? They go and they run and they hide from God. That's what we do almost every day, man. We go and we sin and then we just run into this place where we want to hide from God. We want to hide. We want to put on a mask. We just want to run and hide from him. But see, in my mind, if I'm this shepherd, I'm going to be looking for my lost sheep as it says that he does. It says that the shepherd, when he loses his lost sheep, he goes and he roams the countryside. Now, I want to put yourself I want you to put yourself in my shoes. If I'm running and I'm roaming the mountainside looking for this lost sheep, when I find that lost sheep, sorry, PETA, I'm probably going to go and punch the sheep. I know I have a lot of anger built up. I'm sorry. But I'm going to find that sheep and I'm going to be like, gum sheep, I looked everywhere for you. I've been roaming the mountainside for like three days trying to find you. Why, I'm trying to give you everything. Sheep, why did you run away, you dumb, dumb sheep? I will get my newspaper, and I will swat it. I'll get a leash, and I'll be like, come on back. We're getting back here, you sheep. Come on back. Get in here. Get in the pen. Is that what you would do? Anybody ever lost a dog? 
that dog runs away, when you see it, look at the fence and say, I'm gone, and it runs away. When you find and get your dog, do you be like, what up, dog? I'm so glad you're home. Good job. Way to run away. Is that what you do? You don't have to say it out loud, but I'm sure when you see your dog jet out the back door and go run away, the last thing you're going to do is pet it and say, good dog. (laughs) But here we are, man. We are those dumb sheep, and we run away. But let me tell you something cool about our God and something amazing about our God. It says right here that when he finds it, he doesn't go and swat the sheep. He doesn't go and punch the sheep. He doesn't take the sheep by the collar and say, get on back. He takes the sheep and puts it on his shoulders and carries it home. Because in my life, I think, man, I'm sinning. I've got so much sin. I could never go back, man. God's just going to, he's going to be so frustrated. He's going to be so mad. He's going to punch me. He's going to, he would never want, that's not God. I mean, he takes me at my weakest point, and he puts me on, it, on my shoulders, and he carries me home. And I think some of us are scared to get down on our knees and repent, which is what it says right here, that we've got to repent. Some of us are scared to repent because we're scared we have a shepherd, a God, who is going to be there with a stick just ready to punch us and swat us and say, get home, you dumb human, you dumb person. But let me be the first and hopefully not the last to tell you that we don't have a God who's like that. We have a God who came from heaven down to us to take us at our weakest point and put us on our shoulders and carry us home. Guys, this is beautiful. This is a beautiful picture of our God. And I don't care if you've been a seasoned believer your entire life, there's a place for you at the foot of the cross in repentance. Each of us need to be repenting each and every day. And if you're at a point where you're just like, yeah, I'm chilling in the pen. I've been in the pen since I was 10, saved, always been saved, always will be, never have to worry about repenting, that's, you lost it. We've got to be in a continual state of repentance and saying, God, I've got to have you. I've got for you to carry me home. Without you, I'm nothing. You've got to take me home, God. I've got to have you. And I'm at a point now where I'm sick of just faking it, sick of just hiding, sick of running, and I want to get to a place where I'm just on my knees continually before God just saying, "I, I got nothing. I got nothing left in the tank, and unless you carry me home, I got nothing left to give. I got nothing. It's time for us to start taking these masks off, taking off these walls, and just saying, I want to be back with you, Jesus, but you've got to carry me home. I can't make it back. I've got no chance. Jesus continues to echo this point because it's obviously something that he wants us to know. He says the parable three times, and he says in verse 8, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together. Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. I guarantee you some of you will face this today as you go home and you uh, turn on your TV And that shock hits you as you can't find your remote. And you look, and you're like, hey, honey, do you know where the remote is? And you hear that, no. And you begin to flip over the couch cushions, and you begin to, like, look underneath the couch, and you begin to look in the dryer, and you begin to look in your drawers, and you're like, where's the remote? And when you find it, you just, like, lift it up. Yes, I have found the remote. In no way does that relate to how God feels about us. But... I think we all know what it's like to lose something and that joy you feel when it just comes home and you find it. Man, if we remember back to Exodus 32, I'm going to tell us about this just a second ago. We remember about how God, man, he's trying to give us everything we could ever want and sometimes we forget how faithful God is to continue to pick us up and put us back on his shoulders and just carry us home. And in Exodus 32, if you want to turn there real quick, you're welcome to. I'll kind of recap the story. In Exodus 32, 
we have this ridiculous story that seems to be a theme throughout the, the entire Bible where the Israelites have just escaped from captivity. I mean, they're gone. They, they, God provided for them. He, he heard their, their cries, and he provided, and they were released from captivity, and they've run, and they've got to be free, and they're running from all the captors, and they're chilling, and the promise, not yet. They're just hanging out in this captive, not, excuse me, my mind's lost right now. They're leaving, and they're going toward the promised land, okay? Let's get back on track. There we go. They're going toward the promised land. And, man, God has provided every step of the way. He's opened the Red Sea. Man, they've got to pass through. Every day they step out of their tents, and there is manna on the ground. Everything they could ever want and ask for is provided for them. It's incredible. I mean, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, if I have just escaped from captivity through God's hand, I've crossed through the Red Sea on dry land, and then I look outside my tent every morning, and there's manna on the ground. Surely, I would never forget how good God is, right? Surely. Surely. Well, don't call me Shirley. But in verse 32, in chapter 32 of Exodus, we see that this is exactly what they do. Moses goes up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, and, like, something happens. He's up there for a long time, and for some reason, Aaron and the people decide to melt all their gold and make a calf. Now, is this mind-blowing to you at all? That these people who have just had everything that they could ever want, ask for, or need, be provided for by God, could you imagine everything they could ever want is, is provided for them, and for some reason Moses takes too long on the mountain, and they decide to make an idol? This is dumb. But this is what we do continually. Man, God provides for us, and he provides, and he provides, and then we forget and then he provides, and he provides, and he provides, and then we forget. At some point, we've got to come to a point where we remember what God is trying to provide for us. We've got to get on our knees and just repent and say, God, take us there. Take us home. Take us to that place. If we go back to Luke 15 with that in mind, we go into our last little bit probably the most potent of all the parables that Jesus is going to tell and he says in verse 11 there was a man who had two sons the younger one said to his father father give me my share of the estate now I want to hit this on you those of you who are dads and moms I want this to hit you with the full weight of what it's supposed to I want you to imagine that your son or daughter calls you on the phone this afternoon and says hey mom hey dad just a question love you guys y'all the best love you guys Imagine you died. How much, how much money would I get? Just hypothetically, you die. How much money am I going to get? Oh, really? Sweet. I'll take it to go. Can you imagine that phone call? Can you imagine as a mom or a dad that just the weight of that hitting you fully, having to hear your son say, hey, mom, dad, you're better off dead to me your money is more important to me I would rather have your money than you can you Im anybody can you imagine I think if my son or daughter would come up to me I would probably punch him in the face let's continue the theme I'm not going to be very this is not going to be good but I want this to hit you I want you to feel this the brother the son coming to the father and saying hey dad I'd rather you be dead and I'd rather have your money than have you that's sickening, is it not? It should hurt our stomachs to have to hear this from this son. Well, the father is a much better man than I'll ever be, and he gives 
the son his property, all the money. And in verse three, 13, it says, Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything in a severe famine, had come through the country, he began to be in great need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who began uh, to send him out to feed his pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. In verse 17, this is huge. It says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. When I read this, my eyes were just, just blew open. In verse 17, it says, when he came to his senses. I don't know about you. I don't know when you, like, came to your senses about following Jesus. But I hope that it's not going to take you being in a pigsty, eating pig food, for you to come to your senses about what it means for you to get on your knees and repent to Jesus. For some of us, it's going to take sickness, it's going to take divorce, it's going to take a son or daughter dying, it's going to take some kind of terrible catastrophe in your life for you to come to your senses about following Jesus. I pray that it doesn't take something like this for you to come to your senses. I pray that this morning, some of you would begin to come to your senses and get down on this altar and just say, Jesus, I need you. You've got to put me on your shoulders and carry me home because I just, I need you. I'm praying that this morning it's not going to take some crazy thing in your life before you finally come to your senses. For this brother, it took, man, it took him eating from the pigsty for him to finally come to that point where he came to his senses. In verse 18, he came to his senses and he said, I will go out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. In verse 20, he got up and went to his father. Man, this, this, is, in, this is crazy. It says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. So he ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. Are you, are you kidding me? That this God that we serve, if we put it in context here, we have a son who has just basically said, I don't want you. I want your money. I don't care for you. I'd rather you be dead. Give me your money and let me go. We have a father who's just heard this from his son, and all of a sudden he sees his son coming and goes and greets him and fills him with a hug and a kiss. Are you kidding me? This is the kind of God that we serve that while we are here in our sin and while we are here just in the just crud that we are as people, it takes us getting on our knees and repenting and all there is is there is a God who is ready to embrace us and give us a kiss and say, come on home, man. I'm glad you're home. And he's going to throw a party and there's going to be rejoicing when one sinner repents. And I think sometimes we're easy to miss this whole story. We're like, well, the theology of it, I think maybe once you're saved, you're always saved. And uh, maybe, you know, can the son go back and can he come home? Is this even right? Is this? You're missing the point. The point of these three stories is that we repent and come home. So I don't know where you are today. I don't know if you're just like, well, I don't know if I can, I was saved when I was, it doesn't matter. 
The point of the story is for us to get on our knees continually before God and say, God, I've got to have you. I've got no other choice. I can't make this thing on my own. Jesus, I need you. I've got to have you. Today, I need you for sustenance. I need you for breath. I need you for security. I need you for safety. I've got to have you. This is a continual process that we never break free of. And I think today, some of us are still hiding behind our masks, just saying, I'll figure it out later. I'll get things together when I get a job. I'll get things together when I have kids, or I'll get my life together later on. I pray that you would come to your senses this morning and that some of you would awaken and come forward to this altar and just say, Jesus, you're it, you're all. I got nothing left in the tank without you. This is it. Someone asked Jeff and the guys to come on up. They're singing this song called Awakening, and the point of why we picked this song is just for this simple reason that I hope that some of you would awaken to the gospel this morning. Awaken to the good news that Jesus desires a relationship with you and he desires to be in fellowship with you. And if some of you don't have that fellowship, some of you don't have that relationship, some of you don't know what that means, it starts here at the altar just repenting and saying, Jesus, I need you to carry me home. Some of us for too long have been running. We've been hiding behind a facade or a wall of everything's okay. And let me tell you, it can begin this morning where you walk a new journey of freedom and it starts just coming here, coming forward, or going anywhere and just saying, Jesus, you are it, you are all sufficient. I've got to have you because i got no 